Acts 1 is the text we're going to read from. Thank you, Esther and Jane and choir. Acts chapter 1, we read, we're going to read beginning at verse 7. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent, when, to quote from one of the hymns we read a moment ago, when envy, strife, and quarrels cease. When envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Or, as it is also known, uh, the Sunday after Rivalry Week. So now all envy and strife and quarrels between Tennessee and Vanderbilt and Alabama and Auburn and South Carolina and Clemson and all Georgia and Georgia Tech and Mississippi and Ole Miss can, well, nearly, nearly cease, at least to be minimized. Acts 1, and we begin at verse 7. This is just before Jesus' ascension, of course, and, and his, his friends, his close friends, his 12 disciples are asking him when things are going to wrap up, when is history going to come to its God-planned conclusion? And he said to them, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and of course he's talking about that day. When, uh, not long after that, when the, when the Holy Spirit would come in unique and new power, blowing in like a mighty wind into that upper room, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if, if you grew up in, in missions, RAs and GAs and Actines and all that, you know then that, that Jerusalem, of course, is the, the city, and then Judea was the region, Samaria, the region just to their north where people were different, and then to the ends of, of the earth. I was a, a, a missionary journeyman, and some of you have heard me tell this, a, a missionary journeyman serving for two years in Venezuela right after my uh, college days at Samford. I worked at a boy's home in uh, a little town, little, not much larger than a village, called uh, Mene Grande, which means the grand or big seep, S-E-E-P. Uh, the first oil well in Venezuela was just about a block from my little house, and uh, the oil, the crude, almost rubbery, uh, thick, coarse oil uh, seeped up in my, literally, in my uh, front yard. I felt like Jed Clampett a little bit with having all that oil there in my, in my yard. I thought it was going to be a two-year uh, tour of duty, and then I would uh, return to Anniston, my hometown, and uh, find a way to make a living. But one day in Caracas, I, I had a mystical but profound and to me very real experience in which I, I, I believed that God was nudging me, calling me toward what we then referred to as foreign missions, we now say international missions, meaning carrying the good news of Jesus and, and meeting human needs across international uh, barriers. I didn't know what kind of missionary I would be. I never had preached a sermon. My first sermon was in the Faith Baptist Church of Maracaibo, Venezuela. And then um, I came home and six weeks later got married. Uh, I, I knew her beforehand, by the way, and we had dated in college. That's Carrie, of course, and we got married six, six weeks after my return, and then within a couple of weeks, we were in Louisville, Kentucky for me to go to seminary. And 
while I was in seminary, seven and a half years worth, uh, I, I served two churches as pastor. I became pastor in 1984. And when I became a pastor in 1984, uh, the great exodus from the North American church had not yet begun. At least people were not noticing it. Now, we all knew that the heyday of the North American church was the 1950s and the 1960s. And we knew the numbers were flat, that we had plateaued. But people were not writing about and were not noting that the the number of people checking Christian on Gallup polls was declining. We were not yet noticing that the people checking none, N-O-N-E, on the Gallup polls, on the religious preference section, we had not yet noticed that the number of nuns, those who check nothing, uh, was rising. We hadn't noticed that yet uh, in 1984. Well, after seven and a half years in 1991, uh, we left for the mission field. And in those days, we knew where the mission field was, right? It was out there somewhere. It was in Latin America and Asia and Africa. In 1991, Carrie and I took a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a 10-month-old on a 24-hour trip to Nigeria where we became missionaries. Uh, We first immersed ourselves in the language and culture of the Yoruba people and and the ancient city of Oya, and then moved to Agbomashaw where I taught in a seminary and Carrie worked uh, as a nurse in the uh, Kersey Baptist Children's Home, uh, a residential treatment facility for malnourished uh, children. It was a wonderful life in Nigeria. It was a beautiful life in Nigeria. It was not a convenient life. There were things like water and electricity sometimes were scarce, but it was a, it was a deeply fulfilling life in Nigeria. We, we had been there four plus years, and uh, we were home on leave or furlough for a year, and we were, had been, Carrie and I had been in Richmond, Virginia, for a a Muslim evangelism training, when my father had a massive stroke that changed his life and changed the life of our family. I am my mother's only child, and so we had to stay back to take care of my uh, parents. It was a crisis for our family. It was an identity crisis. All we had known was being a missionary or or preparing to be missionaries. But I became a, a pastor again at First Baptist Church of Mount Washington and brought that missionary passion with me. And our first Christmas there, I started in January and our first, almost 12 months later, our first Christmas there, we decided to really emphasize the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And it was such a wonderful experience for us. They had never really emphasized that offering. But it was like a revival for us. We the people gave so lavishly, and it burst in all the goals, and, and it was such a wonderful experience, and we continued to be committed to international missions. Then I went to Richmond to be pastor, where a lot of members of our church were members also of the staff of the International Mission Board, and we were, of course, it was very natural for us to be committed to international missions, and we were always in the top 50 out of 16,000 churches giving to the Lottie Moon offering. We always gave well and went well. I had this passion for the world and, and, and the church, the churches shared it. Because we all knew where the mission field was, right? It was, it was out there. 
But by 2014, I had become painfully aware of the, of the precipitous decline of Christ followers in North America. I too had begun to pay attention, as so many had, to the, the fact that there were fewer and fewer Christ followers. That if something didn't change within a few decades, Christianity would be a minority religion in our country. That became such a burden for me, such a, a passion for me, that my focus, without my really deciding for it to change, my focus changed from, from the world to our community. Because the mission field, it began to feel like the mission field wasn't just out there anymore, but it was, it was here. That the, the, the epicenter of the Christian faith had shifted from Europe and North America to Latin America and Europe, no, not Europe, Latin America and Asia and Africa. And so my, my heart was for our communities. And so I left the pastorate in 2014, began to work full-time with Fresh Expressions U.S., that, that organization that began in, it movement began in England and tries to start small, simple, new forms of church for people highly unlikely to walk into established churches like ours. In August of that year, I became the, the interim preacher here and then later the pastor and brought with me that passion for the community, for, for people who will those networks and, and subcultures of people all around us, 50% of our population is just not interested in churches they know it. No matter how good the programs, no matter how good the buildings, no matter how wonderful the music, they're, they're just not interested. And so I, I had this, my, my personal focus became the community. And maybe it was necessary and maybe it was understandable. But I took my eyes off the ends of the, the earth. And I have felt, and I, I don't know that this is a church thing, but I'm saying to you that I, I, believe, I, I believe I have to get my, my heart and mind and eyes back to the ends of the earth. For it is true that there are fewer people in churches in North Alabama than there were a few years ago. But it's also true there are countries in the world where there are very few churches at all. It is true that in North America, those of us who faithfully follow Jesus are being marginalized. But it's also true that there are countries in the world where to openly follow Jesus could get you into big trouble and to convert to the Christian faith could get you imprisoned or worse. There is poverty and there is injustice in the United States. But there are countries where the famine, the, the oppression, the lack of health care and the lack of educational opportunities are dire. So it's not either or. It's both and. We must be church at the heart of the city with a heart for the region and the world. To quote Jesus, we have, to, we have to be concerned about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not what it used to be. Our Jerusalem is not what it used to be. But we can't not be passionate about and interested in and make a difference in the rest of the world. How might we do that? Well, there are two ways. 
One is to go as missionaries. The other is to support the missionaries. So let me talk to you for a moment about going as missionaries. Let me speak to kids and teenagers and those of us who aren't teenagers anymore. Would you consider going as a missionary? Would you con- missionary? Would you consider sitting with Tim Boone and me and talking about what your options are, what agencies might send you, how you might go as missionaries? My mentor in seminary was Bryant Hicks. He and his wife Peggy had been missionaries in the Philippines for a long time. He said he grew up as an RA, and many of you know what that is. On Wednesday nights, you know, we have music and missions, and he grew up as a royal ambassador studying missions, and, and he would often, his heart seemed to be pulled to Asia, to China in particular, and he'd think, somebody ought to go over there to China and tell those people about Jesus. And when he was a teenager, he said it was as if the very voice of God spoke to him and said, well, big boy, what about you? So maybe some of you have heard about missions and missionaries, and maybe you would, if you'd pay attention, you might hear the whisper of the Lord of the Great Commission saying, well, hey, big boy, hey, big girl, how about how about you? You don't have to be afraid of that. When I was working at, at Shaco Springs Camp down in Talladega, I was a 16-year-old. There was a missionary from a country I don't remember, and I don't remember who he was. He was speaking to the guys, the teenage guys on staff. And he said, he was pleading with us to consider being missionaries. And he said, you don't have to be afraid of that. And he gave this example. He said, when God leads you to a woman to marry, he will lead you to someone who is a, you find attractive and interesting. The same is true for your career, he said. And we did find it wonderfully interesting and attractive as missionaries. If that's where God is leading you, you don't have to be, you don't have to be afraid. So would you consider going? And second, uh, would you consider supporting uh, our missionaries like we have not done before? You, ha- you have seen perhaps these, um, these envelopes. If you're a, a member of our church, it's in your box of envelopes, and they have been all over the, the building, and we're going to make them increasingly available. This gives you an option uh, to give to the Global Missions which is offering, which is Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, or the Lighty Moon offering, which is Southern Baptist Convention. If you give online, you can designate to one or the other, uh, or if you are one of the few of us who know what a checkbook is now, you know, you can write a check, and in the memo line, you can say for Lighty Moon or for Global Missions offering. When we give, we, go along, we, we come alongside missionaries in in small villages and big cities, in, in cramped offices and under trees all over the world. When we give, we come alongside missionaries, many of whom we, we will never meet in places most of us will never go. Would you come alongside the missionaries this Christmas? Now, some of you would say, I'm really not a denominational person. We live in an era that is, has been declared post-denomination. So maybe you, you say, I, I don't really like CBF and I don't like SBC, but let, let, me, let me say that at Christmas, Baptists have tended to put our differences aside 
and support the missionaries despite whatever differences we might have with whichever denominational agency you fit in or believe you fit in. So maybe we could put denominational differences aside and, and support the missionaries. But if not, then on the top of your worship guide today, on the top, uh, uh, just out uh, on, on the inside, it says our global partners. We have four global partners or couple that we couples and, and that we support through our FBC missions. You all give so well, and twelve percent of what you give goes to. Uh, missions, and a big part of that goes to FBC, or First Baptist Church Missions, so that last year the mission committee uh, oversaw the distribution of $350,000 to missions. Included in that are these partners. You see them there. Paul and Sharon Bowers, supporting the work of Bible translation in Papua New Guinea since 2009. Missy Ward Angala, missionary in Kampala, Uganda, working with refugees. Uh, Janae Angel, she and her husband work in Antwerp, Belgium, among Arabic-speaking Muslim people. Tommy and Penny Johnson, members of our church who live in Da Nang, Vietnam, and work with Highmark, targeting the business uh, community. If, you, if you're not comfortable giving to a denomination, their emails are there. You can email them and ask how you can support them directly. But this Christmas, this Christmas, let's not forget the ends of the world. Let me tell you about Lottie Moon. Now, Lottie Moon is the name of the Southern Baptist offering, but Lottie Moon as a person, as a missionary, is loved and revered by all Baptists of all stripes because she embodies the missionary spirit. Lottie Moon was born in 1840 in, a, in rural Virginia. A few years ago, when I lived in Richmond, I was in the back seat of a car with four other guys. We were driving to officiate a, a high school football game, and we were driving through Crewe, C-R-E-W-E, Virginia. And we stopped in the street and, um, at a traffic light or traffic jam or something, and I looked out the window to my left, and there was the marker that said, the grave of Lottie Moon. And I said... This is where Lottie Moon is buried. Those guys had no idea who Lottie Moon was. And you might not either, so let me, let me tell you. She was born in 1840, rural Virginia. As a young lady, she was at best agnostic, at times even antagonistic toward religion. When she was in college, she went to a revival, a college student revival to mock them. But something happened in her heart. She was transformed by what she heard there and eventually sensed the call to be a, an international or foreign missionary. So at age 33, 1873, she went to China as a missionary. And it was hard. It was hard. It was lonely. Um, she clashed with missionaries, especially the men who probably didn't know what to do with a four-foot-three uh, spunky single lady. The people of China were not all that responsive to the gospel story, and, and it, was, it was hard. She fell in love with a man named Crawford Toy back in the States. He asked her to marry him, and she said yes, but she later backed out. She said, I, I, 
he, I, cannot, I cannot marry him and be a missionary. And so she, she be, remained as a missionary. In 1914, uh, Lottie Moon became convinced that the people around her were starving, uh, were, were dying of starvation. Now, <clears throat> there's some evidence that that wasn't true, that maybe she had, had, had suffering from the anxiety and stress of the, the loneliness and the, the difficulties of being a, mission, a single missionary in China, that maybe uh, she was suffering at the end from a mental illness. Whichever is the case, she believed that, um, that the people were starving around her, and so she thought, if they can't eat, I won't eat. And she'd stopped eating. By the time the missionaries around her realized what was going on, it was too late. They put her on a boat on December 20th, 1914, headed back to the U.S., where they hoped she would get help. But on Christmas Eve, 2014, just four days into the journey, Lottie Moon died. Now, Lottie Moon is known not only as a courageous missionary, but best known for the letters that she wrote back to the to the states, to Baptists in the states, asking why Baptists don't send more missionaries and asking why Baptists don't give more money so that we could support more missionaries. So maybe this year, in the, in the spirit of Christmas, in the spirit of Lottie Moon, could we do, could we do better than we have done? Our goal is 100 thousand dollars and I know people don't give to goals but maybe you'll give uh, for the sake of those who have have given up their lives here and gone as missionaries maybe you would give for the sake of those who's who are suffering from the oppression and the famines and the spiritual darkness that still curse so many so many lands on our on our planet would you would you could we as a church do better and give sacrificially for missionaries this, this Christmas. When I was telling you our, my story a, a few minutes ago, I didn't tell you this part. When I was a, a junior at Samford, uh, I went to the homecoming dance. Now, it was off campus. That was in the days when, you know, Samford's a Baptist school. And uh, those were the days when there were enough Alabama Baptists who thought dancing was a sin that you couldn't dance on campus. It was okay to sin off campus, but you couldn't sin on campus. So I, um, I went to that homecoming dance with, with two of my friends, two guys. And there was a girl there who had gone with a girl, another her, the friend of hers, and I'd been eyeing her, and I, um, I'd talked to her. In fact, I'd asked her out a few times, but she always was, was going home. She had this knucklehead of a boyfriend back in, I'm sorry, that's, a, that's not very Christian of me. That's not, but, but uh, I hadn't gotten a date with her. But she was there this time without a guy, and so I, I asked her to dance. And we danced. And it wasn't long until I eased over to my friends and told them to find another ride home. And she said to her, the girl that had brought her, she wouldn't be going home. And I drove her to Smith Dorm on Samford's campus in my 
purple Volkswagen Beetle convertible. It was, it was a chick magnet, I'm telling you. <laughs> so we sat there in front of Smith Dorm, and I knew, I knew already, I already knew that this was special. And I'm talking about Carrie, don't get nervous, that's who I'm talking about. And she told me that night she was going to be a missionary, a, a foreign missionary. You know, I tried to talk her out of that. I said, I ain't going on no boat to China. She still quotes me on that. I said, and I, I told her, I said, there are lots of needs here. I, and I was sincere. I said, there are lots of needs in, in, the, in the U.S. Can't you be, I said, can't you be a home missionary? That's the way we talked about it in those days. Can't you be a home missionary? But she would not take her eyes off the world. She would not be distracted. She would not, she would not settle for Jerusalem because she had a call to the ends of the earth. Well, of course, a few days later, or a few years later, when I was called to international missions, we were able to get married. And see, she got the best of both worlds. She got missions and me too, see? But she wouldn't take her eyes off the ends of the earth. We can't. The needs here are tremendous. We have to be church at the heart of the city, but with a heart for the region and, and for the world. Because it is true that there are not as many people in North, America, North Alabama churches as there were a few years ago. But it is also true that there are lands where there are very few churches at all. It is true that followers of Jesus are being marginalized in, the, in, in North American culture. But it's also true that there are lands in which to openly follow Jesus could, you, could get you into big trouble to speak to someone, to evangelize, to speak to someone of Jesus could get you into big trouble. To convert to Christian, the Christian faith could get, you, could get you executed. There are lands where, it's true that in our land there's poverty and injustice, but there are lands where the oppression, the, the famine, the, the lack of good health care are just dire. So let's be Let's be good church here. But let's also be good church there. Our hymn is 111. 111.